0: Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Tripanian medical insurance for pets. Through good times and bad, Trupanion is here for you. The Trupanion policy helps cover the cost of unexpected accidents and illness for your pets. The Trupanion team is still available, even in lockdown, 24-7, to help your pet. They also have a program dedicated to breeders so you can send your litters home protected. Their breeder support program provides special offers that waive the waiting periods for your buyers. It's absolutely free for you to get started Just sign up on the link at the website, puredogtalk.com. Don't forget, mention Pure Dog Talk sent you. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and this is part two of a super special episode of Pure Dog Talk. I have with me two very, very interesting and exciting and legendary guests. I have Jim Moses and I have Deborah Stern, and we are going to be talking about the German Shepherd Dog. And this is a listener request. So welcome, you guys. I really appreciate you joining me today.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: We're thrilled to be here. So, okay, here's sort of the crux of the question, because we like to be able to speak to the purebred dog enthusiasts, but also reach out to the community, to John Q. Public, to the average person who might be considering acquiring a German Shepherd Dog for themselves. And you've talked a lot about the great personality that the breed has and all of the incredibly important features. Now let's give the listeners some ideas of things that maybe are more of a challenge and how someone is going to go about finding the shepherd that is the best fit for their family because certainly there's a variety of styles within the breed. Jim, why don't you take that one?
1: Okay, well, there's only one correct German shepherd dog and we have a very well written standard granted some people in the united states took that to the extremes Mm -hmm. but that's a small portion the majority of people breed according to our standard and for a while breeders and not all of them you have to remember that just some and some were fairly successful our standard over the years there is a little misconception. Years ago, we had quite a popular judge, and she was a member of the parent clubs. And she used the term "flying trot" mm. in her Illustrated Standard for Judges. Mm-hmm. Well, what exactly does that mean? You know, it states in our standard the correct angulation. It says the scapula and the upper thigh in. Form an angle in the lower thigh and the upper arm for it, but it says it does a ninety degree angle on parallel planes. Right. And you know, years ago we had dog people, so many more dog people that were also animal people, horse people, horse people, right? And they understood terminology and they read things through. With that being said, the German Shepherd Trot is a tending trot. It's not a flying trot. Any dog person of any breed, if you have a breed that you tend to need to row work or give plenty of exercise to keep them in good shape, well, any person that row works a dog realizes at seven miles an hour, six miles an hour, you can pretty much road it. As long as you keep them off the pavement and don't wear the pads off their feet, you can pretty much row work that dog all day. Get them up to 12 miles an hour and you might take them two miles from home, but you're bringing them back in a cart. You're not going to run them that fast that long. So a German Shepherd's job as a tending herding dog, you have to move that flock miles. And you have to be the living fence trotting around it all. So that's a smooth, rhythmic, coordinated, fluid trot. It's not this baloney about a flying trot. What too many newer breeders and wire breeds started going in the wrong direction, they didn't take any consideration. When a dog overreaches either in front or behind and cannot trot, and the rhythmic gait at a medium speed that you have to run those dogs at a fast speed to get them even into a trot, they don't take into consideration the stress on muscle, muscle mass, tendons. That type of gait is not an enduring trot, and it does not last, and it's incorrect for the breed. Our club is working on an illustrated standard. That's exactly according to the standard, and we're trying to explain and show these different things. Where you get a lot of people criticizing, German Shepherds are a well-angled breed, but having good angulation does not equate to having an excessive length of upper thigh and a crazy excessive length of lower thigh. That is not functional. Those dogs lack follow-through, they lack extension. And as Deb will tell you, when she discusses this issue. Those dogs are worthless for the work she does. I got taught quite a few years ago. At one time, we didn't have dog shows every weekend, including the week before Christmas and New Year's Day and all that. So we pretty much have three weeks off in January, and I would have friends that they did a lot of herding dog training. they were great friends of mine from Oklahoma, and they bring portable pens and a bunch of sheep when I had my farm in Georgia. And people would come from all over the place. Well, let me tell you, all you need to do is watch these dogs try out in a pen with some sheep. You put an overangulated dog in there, and about 30 seconds later, the sheep knew it. All they do is hedge dodge those overdone animals, and they'd be slipping, they'd be grasping from sliding and falling on their sides. You put a strong, functional dog in there, and some of those sheep would knock themselves out trying to jump through the bars to get away from them. <laughs> but the sheep taught me a lot about what kind of structure worked the best with a German shepherd dog. And I have to say this there's a big controversy over German versus American. Right. And they did a really good job, the German and German thinking people, in advertising. What they would do is take some of our dogs that were being shown that really shouldn't be shown, that were much too overangulated and put it on social media, and let me tell you, and I've bred a fair number of German dogs myself, but we have equally or as good or better dogs here, and they have their lemons also, mm-hmm. and their lines, a lot of German lines are just too high-strung, too aggressive. Sharp. Quite a few of them are just, they don't make good pets in this country. And, you know, we have our problems, so do they. Mm-hmm. It behooves anyone that wants a German Shepherd dog to go and look at the other dogs in that kennel, evaluate their personality and character, not only on the mother, you know, many times the father will be there, but many times not. Do a little homework.
0: Yes. I would agree with that in any breed, but <laughs> I think that's absolutely accurate. Deb, I'm going to have you speak to this a little bit more because I think Jim set this up really well. I think that best fit for your family, what do you want to do with your dog? How do they find that best fit? Is it this? Is it this? Is it this? What's your thoughts on this? I think this is a good conversation for people to be able to kind of understand the situation.
2: So I come from a long lifetime of showing horses, hunters in particular. But when I reflect back, I think about three different types of horses. I think about the quarter horse. I think about the thoroughbred and I think about the Arabian. The quarter horse, the reason why he was bred and what he was most famous for was for running that quarter mile in the shortest period of time. So great drink, great burst of energy, but didn't have to go for miles and miles. And then you have the thoroughbred and you think about that horse that goes a mile and a quarter And you think about the stride of the thoroughbred not being a short stride, but a very long stride. So, for example, if he takes a thousand steps to make that mile and a quarter versus another horse that maybe takes 700 steps to obtain that distance, Mm -hmm. which is going to be easier on that horse? Obviously, the one that takes 700 steps to get to that point versus the thousand steps. So the longer the stride, the longer the animal can go, the more distance he can cover in the least amount of effort. And then you look at the Arab, and the Arab was formed to go very, very long distances in great heat to never quit and to be able to go and work in deep sand. And so, again, different dogs are bred for different things. So going back to our German Shepherd, and you think about, and Jim touched on this, when my dogs are on the graze, when they've taken the sheep out to the area of which they're going to be grazing, they're not out running at a dead flat run, they're gating, they're trotting right. like a horse trots, they're gating and what happens is, is this is a very fluid gait. Their feet are very close to the ground, they're very balanced and they can go for hours and hours and hours. When you're actually working the dogs in these venues, in the olden days when the dog was bred, the dog would be out working nine, 10, 11 hours with the sheep. Right. So they have to be balanced. One, they cannot be overdone. They have to be very sound coming and going because otherwise they will break down. Those pasterns need to be very strong and they need to be a dog that's well muscled as well to be able to fluidly go through for hours and hours and hours on the graze. They're also a dog that has to be able to work with the sheep. The sheep are not prey in the case of the style of which tending that we do with the sheep. They protect the sheep and they work closely with the sheep. They're not working 100 feet away like a border collie or 50 feet away like a border collie. They're not working from behind. They're working alongside and with the sheep and maintaining those sheep and protecting those sheep, for example, when a car goes by on the road. Again, they need to be mentally and physically sound to be able to work in this manner. They also need to be a dog that, while they have a lot of energy, it's not directed in a prey fashion right so again, they are working together with the sheep when we talk about going to look for a puppy, Jim and I we get calls all the time for people that are looking for dogs sure. but whether they listen to what we say and our advice, it doesn't always happen. So many times people are swayed by a puppy. A puppy is so cute. All babies are cute. All puppies are adorable, but it's what they're going to grow up to be and where they're going to go from that puppy stage. We guide them when we talk about temperament, what type of temperament to look for. We guide them when we talk about health clearances, why it's important to have those health clearances, why it's important, not for today, but for the future so that you have a long lifetime with this dog so that he remains healthy. So you're not in the veterinary hospital all the time because the animal is sick or in pain. It's really important for somebody to listen and hear that. It is of critical importance. And then when you're buying a dog, you want to look at what those parents have accomplished and those grandparents have accomplished. It says a lot about a dog. And I think a perfect example Was at Westminster, Jim and I were showing a dog. And Jim, if you remember, Westminster, the facility at Westminster was taken apart. They were doing some building and reconstruction. And it took 45 minutes for you to get the dog from the grooming area through the people into the ring of where he was going to be shown. And you take a dog that doesn't have a great, sound temperament. And you have to work through 45 minutes of people stepping on you, bumping into you, other dogs, other breeds, constantly. That year, I didn't hear one dog bark at another dog, even though they were cramped. I mean, they were cramped. You could barely get by. It's a two-minute walk from where they groom to where they show, and it took 45 minutes. So you can imagine how crowded it was. Right. Again, right. you know, people think show dog is this, they have this idea that it's not something special. When in fact, these dogs are out in the public eye, they're petted, they're gone over, they're mauled in many cases. Yes. They have to be able to stand up to that type of behavior by other people, the unexpected, and they have to be sound. So to buy a dog from somebody that shows dogs, That's a really, really important virtue for those puppies in the future because they're going to produce that temperament as well.
0: And I think that's where I was going to go with that, Deb, is really the concept that temperament is genetic. And Jim, I'm going to have you follow up on this too, but I think it's super important for people to understand that that temperament that will get you through, you know, downtown Manhattan or whatever it is, right? Yes, ma'am. That's it. That is genetic and it was born into that dog and it will be produced from that dog. And I think that piece is so important for people to hear. So, Jim, give me kind of your idea on that as well, because I certainly you've seen your fair share.
1: Well, temperament is like any other fault. You can pay attention to it. And if you keep reading sound and not forgive your thoughts because, oh, this one's beautiful. And if a dog is borderline, Not great in character, but not really a raging maniac. Well, smart people can manage that, and you can fluff your way through it. But when push comes to shove, that shows up. It's certainly hereditary. And when breeders consider temperament just like any other anatomical fault, those dogs, it doesn't take long, where the vast majority of the animals you produce are going to be good, sound representatives, you know... There's one problem. There's a fair number of, I don't know the statistics of other breeds, but we do have a few shepherds that are noise-shy, like from thunder and lightning. Right. Uh, As a matter of fact, the top-winged dog of all time, Mystique, she didn't care for thunder and lightning. But in speaking to some people that do a lot of herding-type work with whistles and what have you, they told me that some of their dogs with the best hearing that can hear their commands the farthest distance that it's a higher percentage of those type animals that are sensitive in hearing and would be more sensitive to noise. I never really explored that, but...
0: That's an interesting concept, yeah.
1: You can cover a bit up, but it's only a hidden thing. So that's why I advise people, if you want dogs, you go and you visit the parents and see what the character is like in any breeder's kennels. I mean, look, breeders don't breed all the shepherds sold. I mean, we're number two in registrations. Our parent club has maybe approximately 3,000 members. So I can guarantee you that they're not producing all the German Shepherds in the country. And, you know, I used to earn a very good living years back buying and selling dogs from Europe. You know, when the mark was not as favorable for Germans now as it used to be. Right Now some of those dogs are just, they get sold for more than I could sell them for. That's what they were purchased for. But they have plenty of core character In that country also. So, you know, there's so many myths, but if you have good American breeders, they breed sound dogs. I mean, our temperament test is pretty tough in the show ring. The dog has to stand on a loose lead without commands from the owner, and he better be approachable. They can be aloof. It should be an aloof breed. They shouldn't just jump on strangers and go home with them. I mean, at the same they shouldn't
0: be fearful or run from strangers either absolutely hang tight guys got a little bit of information for you we'll be right back to the podcast in a minute all right folks 2020 has to put it mildly presented some challenges for all of us you know the good news our patrons numbers are still growing almost daily i truly truly cannot thank all of you enough for your support it's been overwhelming And for those of you who've had to reassess your budgets, please know, I totally get it. And I will always be grateful for your belief in this program and the power of great content. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you every day. To make sense out of everyday things. To add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box. To bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future our patrons make all of this possible the funds are specifically designated only for overhead they literally keep the mp3s rolling meanwhile the patrons only after dark facebook live and zoom meetings each month truly have been a fabulous success conversation support laughter some education some mentorship lots of encouragement, and even, randomly, the occasional adult beverage. So click the link at www.puredogtalk.com and become a patron today. Your small contribution helps make a huge voice for purebred dogs. Okay, Deb, do you have a myth-busting you want to do? What's your biggest pet peeve? Oh, uh. <laughs> Okay, pick one, pick 10. I don't know, man. I just, I I feel like this is a breed that just so frequently is misunderstood, mischaracterized, misdiagnosed, whatever. And I just think it's important to have a chance to say those things.
2: I guess I feel that there are many, many of us that breed really, really quality dogs. And we don't leave any parts out when we breed. We breed for good character. We breed for sound structure. We breed with dogs that have had all of their health testing. We breed for dogs that have great intelligence. And we breed for that beautiful, beautiful breed type. And I think that one of the mistakes that people make is they are led astray by, I don't know what you would call, but by the people that don't do those things the people that don't exhibit their dogs, that don't do their health testing, that don't breed to the standard, but they may have a good way of talking and they may have a good way of bringing people into their facilities and have a good talk when it comes to selling dogs. I think the biggest pet peeve that I have is that people don't do their homework and they think that their homework is unimportant. And I think that when buying a dog and you're going to live with an animal for 11 to 14 years, you want it to be everything. So many times people say, I just want a good pet. Well, if you want a good pet, and I think a perfect example, a very dear friend of mine, she consulted with me before she bought some dogs and she decided that she was going to buy two, a male and a female. And before that male was six months old, she had a $10,000 vet bill to replace its hips. Mm. They were so bad and it was so crippled. Again, she didn't listen when I said you must buy from a breeder that certifies the hips on both the female and the male and look back on the generations, see that they
0: are certified. Right, And has been doing it for 10 generations. Yeah.
2: This breeder is a breeder that you can trust. This is a breeder that's been there for years and years. I mean, when you bought a dog from Jim, you knew that you were going to get more than you could ever possibly pay for. You were going to get a dog that was going to be of quality, that was going to live a long time, that you were going to be able to do, whether it be just a pet in your home or whether you wanted to go all the way with it, you were going to be able to do that because that was a quality animal that you were going to buy. And you were going to be able to do all the things that you wanted to do with it or nothing. Right, right. But either way, it was going to be a great cut with a sound temperament. And when you had people over and you had company in your home, that dog was going to be well-behaved. I guess it's just that, but we only want a pet. That's my pet peeve, but most people say we only want a pet. And they don't realize what they're doing and buying from somebody that is not a quality breeder, that does not care about not only the history, but the future of the breed. And to buy from somebody that doesn't is a big, big mistake in my opinion.
0: Well, I think that's true in any breed. Then I would say, like Jim mentioned earlier, it's the number two registration. So
1: I didn't realize you had asked me what my biggest myth buster and pet peeve is.
0: What would be your biggest myth buster? What's your biggest pet peeve, Jim?
1: Well, it's the perception by the general public that a German Shepherd dog, the correct ones are over-angulated. I mean, you take an animal like Rumor is one of the best our breeds ever had. It's gorgeous. Yeah. A German Shepherd dog, a correct German Shepherd dog, is well-angled. That doesn't mean excessively angulated, and people mix up the two. A Shepherd stands normally, naturally, without touching his leg, with one foot a little, one rear leg a little forward from the other. Well, that's balance. Look at your own feet when you stop many times. You don't stop with both toes touching the same line. You stand with one a little bit different than the other for balance. And my pet peeve is, even when we have well-constructed, sound, well angled, correctly angulated dogs, the average pet person wants to know why it walks like that or why does it look like that. I mean, we have had some winners that were too overdone, and I understand that criticism. I criticize them in my own mind. But that's the biggest myth about this breed. We have plenty of breeders that we... Breed own functional dogs
0: right that I think is the one certainly I've heard the most and, and I think it's important for people to hear that and understand it and understand what the purpose is behind the structure, so that's the conversation
1: <laughs> well, I mean that has won so many big awards and all type of performance awards, and every one of them are champions, number one, many of them best in show winners right. Any of our good German Shepherd dogs can win in both venues, both all breed venues and specialty venues. And that's another myth.
0: That's a big one. Do this one.
1: (laughs) Any good German Shepherd dog can do well at both venues. Guaranteed. A dog that can only win at specialties, that's not the cream of our crop. And a dog that can only win at all breeds is not the cream of our crop. The more angulation you get, the harder it is to get them to be as sound and have the proper column of bones coming and going. So it is more difficult.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The less angulation, especially in hind quarter, if you took a two by four and hung it from a rafter, if you swung that two by four, it could only swing in a straight line. So the more angulation in any breed, and this goes for any breed, I mean, most terriers are pretty damn good coming and going, but the majority of them are well-angulated either. Right. Well, it goes hand in hand. I mean, we are all look for perfection, but our best German Shepherd dogs do great in both venues.
0: And that, I think, is something that I have heard, like that's a myth I have heard, that you know, there's the specialty dog and the all breed dog and blah, blah, blah. And I love to hear these stories about the dogs that are winning at both specialties and all breed shows, because I agree. And then you add a performance piece, like Deborah was talking about, the herding and all of the various and sundry jobs they're doing, that well-rounded dog would seem like the ideal specimen to me.
1: Absolutely, a dog anybody would be proud to own.
0: So my final question, and just kind of a follow-up to what we're already talking about, and I know we're about to run over time and it's okay. (laughs) Like Labradors, like any of the other high registry breeds, there's high demand. And you and Deborah and even the 3,000 members of the German Shepherd Dog Club of America will never be able to meet that demand. So for someone who is looking for a dog that is the well-rounded specimen and isn't willing to wait for two years, give us some ideas of just basic bottom line, each one of you. Basic bottom line, The siren dam should have these health testing and they should have this accomplishment temperament wise, even if they're not best in show dogs.
1: Well, we have plenty of breeders where you won't have to wait two years. Okay. As far as health testing, I'm going to let Deb speak to that. I happen to disagree on this. You know, right now, social media is going crazy with DM.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah.
1: You know, I think that's a crack myself because... We had two different dogs that vets were sure. They were older. It's an old age disease, number one. Number two, both different dogs, two different vets. Oh yeah, that's DM, that's DM. And I spent the money to get the necropsies, neither one of them. German Shepherd dogs have a certain amount of spinal problems. And it's another, oh, lump it all together. If I had my choice, would I rather be DM free, of course, who wouldn't? But I just think there's way too much emphasis on that and not enough on character and overall physical soundness. Right. I would not make that a game changer. Absolutely. You know, if it's an old age disease in dogs and the amount of certified cases of that are way less cases of DM than what a vet may put on a death certificate. Because as I said, they oh yeah, that's DM. And the only way you can find it out is you have to do a necropsy. Necropsy, right. The two times that they were positive, they were wrong. I'm just not a big fan. And Deb can explain what those are important things. But
0: Right. Deb, what would you give folks as like your bare minimum? Please, 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 I beg you, buy from a breeder who does X, Y, and Z.
2: Both Jim and I come from a time when people didn't, microchips. Right. They didn't necessarily tattoo. And I remember when OFA came about and people said it's not the only thing that's important in a dog. It's not the only reason not to breed to a dog if that mm-hmm. dog was not normal in its hips and elbows. And then as time went on, microchips became a must. So an x-ray of the dog, was guaranteed to be the microchip of the dog. And as time went on, more and more dogs were OFA'd, hips and elbows. And then more popularity came to testing hearts and thyroid. And then now, most recently, the most common is DM. I think that these are tools. I think that these are tools. When you look at a dog and look to be breeding to a dog or to being purchasing from a dog, that you want to have as many tools in your tool chest as you possibly can. Because if you don't put some importance on all the special things that these animals have to offer, then you're getting, in my opinion, less. If I were going out to purchase a dog and when I have gone out to purchase dogs, I've looked at whether or not that dog had ever shown in performance events. I look at that dog to make sure that he has performed in the breed ring. I look at that dog to see what health clearances he has. Then I can make a choice. I can make an educated choice. No, it's not the beginning and the end, but would I like to have all of those things? Right. Yeah, I would. I would. When I go out to buy a dog, I want to make sure that he has all of those things. Would I buy a dog that didn't, you know, buy a puppy from parents that didn't have those? I'm not so sure that I would even do that. I want my dogs to live a long life. I want them to be around as long as possible. And DM, as being an older dog's disease, there aren't many that are DM clear now, only because testing is not as common as it is on OFA. For example, OFA, at one time, we were like number two or number three on the list of dogs with hip problems. We're now 40th on the list, 40th. We have come so far because of OFA.
0: That's awesome.
1: One of the things with the hips on dogs is once we learn to pay more attention to a dog's siblings than we did the dog itself, I mean, you could have 10 generations of good hips, and those possibly could have been the only puppies in all 10 generations that had good hips. So your percentage is gonna be, I'd much rather breed to a dysplastic dog that had seven siblings with good hips than a dog with numbers and seven siblings without hips. But the minute my breeding program paid attention to the siblings, there was a drastic difference.
0: I think that's a really valid point, Jim. And you guys, I'm sure that listeners, OFA's vertical pedigree, where you can go and look at the siblings all the way back through the pedigree, I think is so valuable.
1: Yep. I mean, that makes it so much easier to get really fast results. Yep. Don't, it could take you forever and you start wondering where the hell did it come from. Right. Well, because 80% of the genes in there are bad. The siblings are very important.
0: Right. Deb, any additional thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that that's a primary concern. You always
2: want to look back on the generations and on the siblings as well. So both of those are components. But the point I think that is important to note is as breeders have become more and more responsible, good breeders, and the product that they put out, they're producing more and more clean hips, more and more clean elbows. And so the future is a much healthier dog overall. And so it's not something that should be ignored, and it may not be your only focus. There are multiple facets of these dogs, and all of these things should be taken into account when you're purchasing a puppy. Again, you want to make sure that you're purchasing it from a reputable breeder, somebody that cares about the future of our breed and not just the Cash in his pocket, when you have breeders like this, and I have bought dogs from Jim, I bought a year and a half old dog from Jim, this is years ago, that ended up going select. He was a breed champion. He ended up being a performance award of merit. But I bought him as an older dog, and he had his hips, elbows, heart and thyroid all tested, and he lived out to be a ripe old age of I think he was twelve and a half wonderful, wonderful, wonderful dog that I was able to do everything with. And that was because and it was a testament to what Jim had bred. He bred a healthy, strong, his sire was OFA certified, his dam was OFA certified, and for several generations back. And again, it's not something that you can ignore. And more importantly, I bought from somebody who felt it was important to breed not only quality as in conformational quality and close to our standard quality, but also cared a great deal about their health in the future. And I think that it's important to do that. I think that it's important to only buy from people that are raising dogs for the future and not for the dollar in their pocket. It costs a lot of money to do those testing, costs a lot of money to show dogs, it costs a lot of money to show whether it be in performance or breed. They have put their time and effort and dollars into these dogs. And those are the people you want to buy from.
0: Absolutely. I think you nailed it on that one. So I'm super happy. <laughs> I appreciate you guys so much and really, really have enjoyed this conversation. I think there's a lot of value and a lot of information here for people to take away and. I love your passion for your breed. I think that is amazing.
1: Thank you very much. It's been fun.
0: Thank you so much. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.